Welcome to another episode of Don't Believe Jack. This is my show. It is my show. This is fucking awesome. Um, I'm just trying to come. I'm just trying to theme songs. Just trying to theme. Just trying to theme songs. Trying to make theme songs that closely infringe upon Macklemore, but not to the point where him and Ryan Lewis will, uh, excuse me, Macklemore X Ryan Lewis will sue me. Uh, I don't want that. Uh, I get it now. I actually finally understand that actually that X, when they do uh, collaborations between designers and clothing lines or between Macklemore and Ryan Lewis's, uh, specifically when Macklemore's and Ryan Lewis's collaborate, that X is actually just a plus uh, turned 45 degrees. Isn't that deep? Oh, yeah. You know what show you're on. Uh, Macklemore. I, it's really funny. Macklemore comes up for me uh, in the same way that like ex-girlfriends do. Like Every once in a while, I just sort of remember that th- there was a time when we were a thing, and, uh, and that time is over. And uh, I'm grateful for the time we have, but I'm also grateful that it's over. Uh, that's how I feel about Macklemore. Uh, it is weird. It's so funny. Uh, because man, man, what a way to lose, what a way to win a Grammy, but lose America. Um, cause remember he, he beat out, he beat out, um, um, Kendrick Lamar for the, uh, for, you know, that Grammy, uh, you know, he, he won the best rap album, which uh, is hilarious looking back when you really think about it. It is incredible that Macklemore beat out Kendrick Lamar uh, for a Grammy on that debut, you know, record label out, you know, like major studio release, Good Kid, Mad City, um, which I thought was an amazing album. I did not listen to the Macklemore album. I did listen to the singles. They were very, very good. But uh, it's hard for me to conceive of an album that Macklemore made that's better than Good Kid, Mad City. It's just, it's really hard for me to see it. I'm really, really not seeing it. And you know how, like, when elections go bad, everyone's always complaining and saying certain people shouldn't be allowed to vote. Um, and, you know, personally, I think that that's always a little screwed up and elitist. Uh, but, you know, in, in in that situation, yeah, maybe some people shouldn't be allowed to vote. I have not listened to the entire album, so admittedly, I don't know. Maybe that Macklemore album was dope. Uh, and I just, I'm just an ignorant person and also, uh, you know, bearing prejudice against white rappers. I don't know. Uh, or, you know, but, but I have to admit that just, just based on how much good, how good Ked, I mean, good Ked Mad City is like, uh, is probably like a once in a lifetime album. You listen to Good Kid Mid- Mad City and you, <laughs> Mid City, Good Kid Mid City, welcome to Los Angeles. Um, no, the, you you listen to an album, um, you listen to Good Kid, Mad City, and I felt the same way I felt the first time I heard the Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. I was like, "Oh, this is this is someone announcing that they're here and they're somebody." And uh, I, you know, Macklemore that album was fun. Macklemore X Ryan Lewis uh, was good. You know, I had a good time with it, but. Um, I don't know. I just I don't see it. I I you know like it's it's hard for me to believe that that album The Heist is what it was called. God <laughs> What a great name for an album. Ah, the irony. 
the irony uh, of of an album where he won over uh, Good Kid, Mad City called The Heist. But yeah, I just it's hard. I mean, I mean, six years later, uh, Kendrick Lamar has released two new two more albums, each to increasing uh, acclaim. Uh, he did the Black Panther soundtrack, which I thought was, I mean, you know, uneven, but you have to admit that, damn it, if all the tracks don't sound good. Some of the tracks are amazing. Shout out to Bloody Waters and Anderson Pac. That is, excuse me, Anderson.Pac. Uh, I have to I have to remember that he's both an artist and a URL. And um, he is both an artist and a URL. What is this show? What is this show? I, I don't know. I really don't have the answer to that. What is this? What? What is this? Um, I'm sorry. I can't explain, Mom. Uh, I think that's actually the title track from The Heist. <laughs> okay. Okay, now we're getting silly. But yeah, just six years later, Kendrick has released all these albums. Uh, he's won Grammys. Uh, um, he's up for like a gajillion nominations. Uh, they might start calling them the Lamars instead of the Grammys. Um I like he really he, he he received a Pulitzer a Pulitzer a Pulitzer a Pulitzer those are usually awarded for 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 old books about World War Two and investigative journalism uh, about how um, you know a hospital network is misusing Medicaid payments that's and, and now Kendrick has one. Kendrick's achievement is 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 seen on that level now, which is I, I think um, you know it's a little bit it's a little I mean look same love great song very powerful same love was a great 2012 LGBT anthem uh, right as the movement was starting to uh, become uh, fashionable and uh, you were allowed to hate your in laws <laughs> um, and and your and your parents. Uh, for not being LGBT friendly, it certainly was uh, of its time, um, but it never won a Pulitzer. It never, never ugh. a Pulitzer, a Pulitzer. Macklemore and Ryan Lewis should try to investigate uh, pollutants used in Seattle, or maybe like the effect of glo- global warming. On uh, the state, on Washington State, and then they should release a hip hop album that documents this, and perhaps they could get a Pulitzer. I'm just saying, it's nuts. It's nuts that you get a Pulitzer. So, anyways, yeah, it's just it's it's weird that he he you know he won and then he he won the battle but lost the war. I mean, not that he was in a battle, but but I mean, goddamn it, if people weren't man, people were angry at him. People were angry at him like the way people are angry at Kevin Hart right now. <laughs> that's that's how angry that's how angry they are at him. Um, uh, oh my god, oh my god, Macklemore, Macklemore, more Mackle, Macklemore, more Mackle, Macklemore, more Mackle. Uh, what is this show? It's a meditation on living. That comes after a semicolon, because uh, I want to be hella pretentious here. Ooh. Um. So. Um. So yeah, like, uh, what's what's been up? I mean, other than Kendrick Lamar, 
And what's going down except Macklemore? Because <laughs> the ceiling can't hold us. Because the ceiling can't hold us. I actually really, really like that song. It's a good song. It's legitimately and just an excellent, excellent song. Um, God, Macklemore had such hits. You, I, I look at his his plays. I'm I'm looking at Spotify right now. His his albums have gotten a combined. He's gotten combined over a billion plays. Over a billion plays. He's still 348th in the world. You feel me? Eight million people listen to him. Uh, a month, which is, you know, I mean, like, thrift shop, it was good, it was good, but, ugh, it's just, it's wild. It's, it's sort of wild. Yeah, so, um, he is, yeah, I don't know, I just think that that's really interesting, and, uh, I mean, uh, just, oh, Macklemore, I do, I almost feel bad for him, he was, like, stuck in the middle of this, but on the other hand, you know, so such such is the path of history. Such is the path of history. Um. Anyways, yeah, that's 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 what I just want to say. I do think about Macklemore pretty frequently. Uh, you know, because it's catchy. It's really catchy stuff. But you're like, that was a really great summer. I got my braces out. My family told me we were moving away. I was heartbroken. And, uh, and then we moved to Indianapolis and, uh, you know, after I met someone new, um, Peyton Manning and we kissed, uh, I knew we would be okay. And I knew I could put Macklemore behind me. That's how I feel. Uh, I, speaking of, speaking of hippity hoppity hoop, hoop, hoopidoo, um, I uh, have to say that I I really I listen to and people have been rolling their eyes when I've said this to them. They have they just think I'm being uh, just uh, trying to be provocative. Um but um I listen to the Carter the Carter the Carter V as it's known uh also the Carter 5 or the Carter 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 V um is another name if you don't believe in punctuation. Uh, which, you know, well, I mean, no punctuation, that's more of a, uh, that's, um, that's, that's more of a, uh, that's more of a black eye piece thing. Um, but yeah, uh, it's so funny when uh, the black eye peas make protest music because I'm like, wait, what, what? Protest music? Don't cops dance to what you make? I don't know. It's just it always it's it's funny because like the Black Eyed Peas is Sans Fergie now. Sans Sans Fergie. Sans Fergie sounds like a band actually, and uh, and so anyways, there's the Black Eyed Peas, and they're all about like you know they release they try to release like edgy, you know edgy music, edgy protest music. They have a song, and it's like a, it's sort of like a hardcore hip hop song. You know what I mean? But it, it's almost as if like Richard Simmons made a protest song. You know, like it doesn't like meet me halfway and and then you're making a song called Street Living. That's that's all about like uh gangster times. You know, it's it's it, it's a good song, but it's hard. I'm not persuaded. And they really are trying to drive the point home. I really like uh when rappers try to drive the point home that their tracks are heavy uh by putting the name of the song in all caps 
Uh, it is very confrontational, and I love it. Uh, and I'm like, ooh, this is going to be an intense song. Um, when it's in all caps, all caps. That's 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 when it's like, yeah. But anyways, it's just it, it, they should have released the song under a different name. Uh, they should they shouldn't have released it under Black Eyed Peas. But it's called Street Living. It's really good. It's a good song. It's a good hippity hoppity hoopy song. Listen to that. So yeah, you you hear that, and it's like it's it's like a serious like protest song about what's going on in our society. It was released in 2018, along with every other piece of angry art. Uh, but I'm just not convinced. I'm not convinced. Speaking of of a glorious art that is not that is not angry and is fun. Uh, the one thing I have to say is yes. Going back to the Carter v, the Carter v, um, the Carter V, the Carter V, the Carter V. Um, it's the new Little Wayne album is amazing. It's great. You, if you like Macklemore, you're probably not gonna like the Carter. You you can't you can't play the Carter at a kid's birthday party. Let's just put it that way. But it's an amazing album. It's really actually quite good. And I'm not really that big of a fan of Little Wayne. You know, like I I I find a lot of his music very um. For a guy, <laughs> let me put it this way: for a guy on his sixth, on his fifth album, he sounds awfully sophomoric. <laughs> uh, you get it, you get it. Um, yeah, he the album. Um, you know, a lot of his albums, I've found them sort of like elementary, not that interesting. Mostly, he's just talking about like just sex, uh, and you know, which is fun. I I like a good sex. Uh. Uh, you know, uh, it's been a while. I could use a good sex. And um, <laughs> I've been told uh, that I have family members that listen to this. So I, I want to apologize in advance. Um, but <laughs> and actually, oh, this is all a joke. OK, none of this is actually about my real life. I just want you to know this is all just a fictional character I created, uh, which is also half true. But anyways, the sex, the sex, big fan, big fan. Can't uh, can't get a, maybe had too much. Um, but in any case. Um, the Carter, you know, most of his, most of Little Wayne's albums, I actually like calling him like a British person, like Little Wayne, Little Wayne, you listen to that new, uh, Little Wayne album, Little, Little Wayne, he's a great rapper, um, I love him, I'm now about to get in a, in a red telephone booth, <laughs> that's actually the TARDIS, <laughs> that's a terrible British, that British accent really fell apart, <laughs> that, that, that that British accent actually disintegrated. <laughs> it disintegrated in the rain. Um, uh, God, uh, what am I? What what am I talking about? What's what's going on here? Who turned out the lights? Um, uh, this Little Wayne album is is ridiculous. It's so frigging good. It is. It's just good. La 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 like a lollipop. La 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 like a lollipop. Uh, that was an old song from him, um, but anyways, like yeah, his new his new stuff is just like I've been telling people that in my opinion, like Little Wayne might legit be our generation's Lord Byron, like, and I I'm not saying that just to be like provocative, like he really might be because you know like. 
like Lord Byron explored his like mental illness, his extremely intense sexual life and sensuality. Um, you know, uh, the, the questions of his time, he was very fashionable among young men of his period. And they sort of wanted to live up to the notion of a, I mean, there's that term Byronic hero, uh, which is always funny to me because it almost sounds like ironic, you know, Byrony. Um, but yeah, even me as a young man, uh, I loved Lord, you know, I, I didn't even necessarily love Lord Byron, but I loved what he represented, which was sort of this, this move against sort of Victorian values into sort of this idea of like a man in a state of nature, uh, can experience true love and share that with people. And I feel like Little Wayne's album, you know, but also his pain and his anguish and his intense emotions. And I feel like the Carter, he does the exact same thing. Like it's, an amazing album. Like, I haven't really been, you know, and I've listened to some of the other, you know, Carter albums. I thought they were okay, but I didn't think they were amazing. But the Carter is an, is a really interesting album. Like, he really is talking about, like, all this crazy stuff that happened to him. Like, everything crazy. You should watch the documentary. You can find it online. Uh, maybe I'll post a link or something. Uh, I don't know where I would. Uh, maybe on my Twitter. Um, which is, uh, what is it? It is, yeah, I know. See, I'm good at promotion. Also, uh, well, I, my Instagram is don't believe Jack, uh, with no spaces. And, uh, and my, uh, my Instagram is, is, uh, or my, my, uh, Twitter is, uh, Jack Michelle LOL. I know it's a little corny, uh, but freaking deal with it. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, it's just an amazing, it's like an amazing album. Like, he, he's just talking about, like, all the insanity in his life. And it's just great. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. I just, I just think it's like, it's, it's really, it's just a good album. Like, he talks about, you know, basically, like, his trying to kill himself. He talks about, like, why he doesn't trust women. He talks about money. He talks about his relationships with other people. He talks about his own psychological state. Like, he has a song called Dope New Gospel that's incredible. I think that song is really good. Um, I think the song Famous is good. Open Letter, Dark Side of the Moon. Uproar obviously is is just is just fun. Don't cry uh, is also um, a very good. These are all like really great tracks. But dope new gospel is particularly interesting in the sense of like how much he really is introspecting. And uh, in some, I mean, I have to admit, like even listening to dope new gospel, I was actually like, oh my god, like Little Wayne has taught me something about myself and what it means to be a human being. In the song, he talks about basically, he's like, you know, I love the man in my era, the man in the mirror. Uh, he helped inspire me, which is obviously, that in itself is like a shout out to Michael Jackson. But he also says, you know, sometimes when my ego is too big, like sometimes I tell myself I'm Michael and he reminds me that I'm Tito. So there's a sense in which like his ego is allowing him to strive uh, for greatness and keeping him humble but also keeping him exalted. It's, it's, I mean, I understand why he calls it, even just speaking about it right now, actually, I, I, I put it together why the song is called Dope New Gospel, because there is something, like, very religious about it. Like, he's like, the man in the mirror taught me how to exalt myself and, you know, revel in myself, but he also taught me how to, you know, how to 
kill my ego and that I'm not that great. Um, which in a weird way is, is like actually him inverting the meaning of depression, you know, like for him, it's like, oh, these emotional swings I have when I feel bad, that's actually a reminder that I have, that I'm not that great and that I can work hard. Uh, and I can, and I can actually continue to strive towards greatness. It's actually like, it's deeply existential and, Yet also life-affirming. I mean, there's a reason it's called Dope New Gospel, okay? Uh, probably not suitable for for, uh, for for traditional Catholic audiences, but uh, it's more of a Protestant song, you could say. Uh, a lot about booty eating. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so the, the Carter, I mean, like, he really comments on, like, everything. And everything does include booty eating. He eats the booty. So did Lord Byron. That's in his unpublished and unpublishable poems. Uh, in fact, his estate continues to deny their existence. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just think it's just funny. Um, I feel like you know I'd recommend maybe you should listen to the to the non um, to the clean version of the album, which I don't even know what the hell that's going to sound like. I mean, it's probably going to sound like trash. But um, but good luck with it. Uh, but no, he really is. He is the Lord Byron. He speaks to young people. He's both flashy yet very entertaining, and I want to say vulnerable, but I, I find that word to be a little played out, and vulnerability is sort of a manipulation. Uh, I can probably go into that at some later point, um, but I'll just suffice to say right now, I was having a deep conversation. I was having a conversation with with a uh, with a comedian, and we were talking about like what authenticity and honesty looks like, and he sort of said it's easy to go on stage. It's like real authenticity, real vulnerability is not just like throwing out what you feel about stuff. It's actually something a lot deeper. So, for example, he says vulnerability isn't – if you just like go on stage and you um, say – you know, if you just go on stage and you say uh, like I'm an alcoholic, like there's no real vulnerability there. You're just sort of – like vulnerability that's like dazzling people like vulnerability is going on stage and saying i'm an alcoholic and this is why i drink and this is how i drink um you know i have this disappointment and i can't get this voice out of my head and uh and so uh i call up friends and no one responds and then i go to the bar by myself and this is hypothetical. Just again, so family doesn't worry. <laughs> I have to just put in a bunch of disclaimers. Um, but but right, it's the idea of like, that, and then I sit there and I have a drink, and then I order another one, and then I order another one, and then I order another one until I'm a uh, blotto, and I wake up. You know, I, I come out of a blackout, and it's two. Sometimes I've been pulled over driving, like. And when I, but that, that's, see, that's even just the details and the mechanics, which of course is embarrassing and humiliating and vulnerable. Um, but then also to be like, and this is the reasons I do. I have these unresolved issues in my life. These are my problems. Uh, this is what I'm struggling with. I don't talk with my family. I have poor self-esteem. I have body image issues like that. It would actually be vulnerability. That's real art. That's when it breaks through just simply some kind of mere confession to something actually uh, perhaps useful to uh, to all of us. Uh, 
and actually touches something deep inside of us that we all have and hide from one another. Um, but yeah, that actually like that's what the Carter, the Carter V um, is. I believe that's the name of the album. And um, but yeah, yeah. And in fact, I would say, <laughs> I would say that's exactly how I do feel about you know Little Wayne's earlier albums. Little Wayne might have said in the past, "I eat the booty." Yes, sir. I eat the booty. I do attest I eat the booty. Uh, but this album is him saying, Sir, I eat the booty because I grew up without a father. And my mother had to raise me alone. And she raised me to be a tough person and to fight anyone who would get in my way. Because she knew that the life of poverty in New Orleans would choke a young black man uh, without any educational opportunities or resources. And so I rapped, you know, this, this, my mentor took me in at the age of 12, which is actually what happened in his life. And he taught me how to be a rapper, um, from 12 to 17. And basically for those five years, all I did was I'd go to school and I'd come to that studio and I'd write and I'd have to, cause the understanding was that I would have to fight for anything I could get in this world anything nothing would be given to me and i fought and at 17 i was a great rapper because i had i had written you know that like written over you know thirty thousand bars of rhymes i was the youngest member of uh of a you know a super group and uh and then i started to start my own record label i got addicted to promethazine, uh, which is in scissorp, and actually I have a lot of issues with it. I have a lot of issues with sexuality because of my confused relationship with my mom wanting me to be the man of the house when I was two. Uh, I have a lot of issues with sexuality because um, my uh, mentor had me have sex with a woman when I was 13. Um, that Those are my experiences, and, uh, and I've survived it all. I almost died a couple of years ago, and everyone made fun of me. I keep getting more and more tattoos on my face. I alienated all the people around me. Um, I hate myself, but I'm also the greatest rapper alive. And that, sir, is why I eat the booty. That's the Carter Five. That's what that is. It's amazing. Go listen to it. I, I really can't say anything more about it because it would probably be too explicit for a podcast. Love you, Mom. Anyways, uh <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. That's, that's, I guess what I'm just trying to say. It's good. It's fun. And, uh, and has a lot of interesting things to say, you know, that's not, he's like, you know, I mean, a lot of people, Kendrick, I would say is one of the greatest rap. I mean, he is going to be probably go down as the greatest rapper of the generation. Um, second would be Macklemore X Ryan Lewis. And then I think third, 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 third will be Lil Wayne. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's really impressive stuff. Uh and you can also see that you know, as with all of us, men, women, dogs, little Wayne has also been changed by exposure to Drake for the better. Uh and and so his his rapping is much more is more confessional, more psychological, more narrative. Uh I think I think as a result of seeing Drake's success and uh and uh realizing that he's opening this new 
uh, era in rap. Um, uh, it's weird to say, but you know, with rap being so, so you know, perhaps misogynistic, uh, it's weird to say that Drake is the nanette of rap. Uh, but perhaps, 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 uh, to uh, to quote the uh, the song from Cake. Um, anyways, yeah. So that's 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 my thoughts on Little Wayne. Uh, it's just an amazing album. It's so interesting. I would actually also watch uh, the Carter, which is the documentary, uh, and I'll tweet that on my uh, on my Twitter. Uh, which is Jack Michelle, LOL. Uh, it's a terrible name. I know you can, uh, when you see me, you can punch me. Um, uh, but just not the face, just, I'll take a body blow. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it's just, it's an amazing album. I, I can't recommend it enough. I actually think it might be one of the most interesting albums of the year. Uh, I think Jungle is an amazing album. Uh, Lost in LA. Uh, I can't, I really don't know the rest of the lyrics, but that song's amazing. Um, House in LA, I think it's called. Yeah, uh, that's an amazing album. And um, yeah, Jungle's really good. But back to uh, Little Little Wayne. Um, I was just thinking about it more. Like, I mean, even Little Wayne's, God, like even the, you know, like he's just this, this you know, he's, it's funny because I have no, uh, you know, nothing really that in common with him. But he has like this mix of like bravado and fear that is just extremely humanistic. Um, I think that's even what all this booty sex stuff is. About. <laughs> I sound like I sound like a, a concerned parent. That's what I think all this booty and, and and sex stuff is about. No, but like he even like wants to be a good lover because he's like, but he doesn't care about the people he's involved with. He just like wants to be the best. At everything, you know, and I, I can relate to that because, you know, a mix of bravado and fear, I was the first person in my family to eat kale. And uh, that was a big deal, you know, but I was like, I'm going to step up. Uh, and I could, you know, just totally relate um, to, to Lil Wayne. He's just, he's just a fascinating character. Um, but I guess like that even gets into... Uh, I, I did want to say that uh, one of the things I, I thought was that was really amusing for me. Oh wow, that was a loud noise in the background. Um, one of the things that that was really amusing is that I think that uh, yeah, I just I just think Little Wayne is is fascinating, and I, I think you should listen to that album. Um, uh, he, uh, that Kendrick Lamar album was really interesting because like Good Kid, Mad City came out, and that was fascinating to me. Like because there were so many. Uh, I sort of look at. Um, like uh Kendrick's albums through like this racial lens like he's having this dialogue with America that's really interesting um and uh basically the, the dialogue is his first album is lauded good kid good kid mad city uh because in a lot of ways it's a crossover album he's um he's basically almost like doing boys in the hood which was a breakout movie that crossed over to white America and, um, you know, it's interesting because in that album, he also depicts a lot of the idea of, like, the ways that blacks are cruel to other blacks. And I think America wants to hear that. I think America's very comfortable with that. Uh, but it was interesting because, of course, on his next two albums, when he talks about Damn, you know, on Damn or To Pimp a Butterfly, he's really talking about, like, now black people in relation to America. And that's a much more uncomfortable message for the mainstream. But it was like he hooked America by first 
it, it was almost like he, you know, if he's like a prophet, the first thing for him to do is to be, uh, bitch, be humble, <laughs> sit down. Um, no, for him to be pious, uh, you know, he was, he, he sort of came to America, if you will, with this piety. And I think that's a lot of the reason the album is a breakout because everyone's like, get a load of this kid. Look at how great he is. And don't we love him? And, you know, and he's criticizing his own community and that's very comfortable. Uh, but then in his next two albums, he's much more critical of mainstream America. And then all of a sudden people hate him. You know, Fox News is talking about how he's almost like a terrorist. Uh, and his, and his music is like, uh, is like a hate crime. Um, but you know, like that's, that's an interesting, uh, tension that I've always just thought was fascinating. And I wonder if it was calculated on Kendrick's part, you know, that he, he understood that his first studio album had to be something about his community. Um, because it was the thing he could speak most authentically about, <laughs> to go back to authenticity. Uh, and then with the other albums, he sort of turns his sights more on society and what he sees and, and how society, uh, relates to his society and his community. I wonder if it was also maybe, maybe in some ways it wasn't so calculated. Maybe it, perhaps it was a product of the fact that, you know, once Good Kid Mad City did well, he's touring, he's seeing the country, he's meeting different kinds of people, he's getting outside of his community, and he starts to look around and go, what the hell's going on in this country? Um, and, you know, what, what's, what is this about? Uh, and I think that that's, that to me is a very interesting idea as well, like that he, Maybe these albums also reflect like his consciousness is expanding, um, but he continues to return to his community, and so I, I don't know. It's just an interesting dialogue. Um, the one I've been reading this book, uh, it's an amazing book. I uh, I have hated every page of it. Uh, that's how amazing this book is because it, it challenges everything. At least I think, as sort of an idealist uh, about human beings, and uh, and it really makes me uncomfortable. But I love it because it makes me uncomfortable and because he, you know, the arguments are good. I've talked about it with literally everyone I've talked with since I read the book. Uh, it's called This is Marketing by Seth Godin. And he has this, this thing in there. He talks about the hype cycle. Um, and, uh, it is, uh, it's, it was, it was called the Gardner, Gartner hype cycle because a, uh, an IT firm, uh, that studies technology, Gartner, um, looked uh, at this cycle as a way of representing the maturity, adoption, and social application of specific technologies. But I also think it totally applies to uh, America's perception of Kendrick Lamar's albums because, um, you know, uh, it goes through this pattern. You can pull it up. It's awesome. Very interesting stuff. But uh, Kendrick's album uh, begins with the peak of... Infl there's it's a whole pattern, basically, uh, where there's a peak of inflated expectations... Uh, then there's a trough of disillusionment, a big fall, and then there's a slope of enlightenment and a plateau of productivity. And I feel uh, you have to look at the image to really get what I'm talking about. Uh, it, in fact, if, if you pause this podcast and pull it up on your phone because it's it's really interesting. Just if you Google like hype cycle or Gartner G A R T N E R N E R hype cycle, uh, it totally. Uh, follows Kendrick's albums because you know the peak of inflated expectations was hey here's this kid talking about his hood and how crazy it is and you know his piety and his religiosity and gee doesn't he seem like a good boy and then the trove of disillusionment is when everyone's like oh god this kid's really angry at America and he's talking about attacking cops and um and it's controversial and and then there's the slope of enlightenment which is you know I, I think with time right Kendrick will be seen as 
you know, he'll be he truly will be integrated in the mainstream. He already is because after that, after the tro, when he pissed people off, he he sort of got up a a, um, a marquee spot at the Grammys performing uh, with uh, Dave Chappelle, and I just think that that's really like basically yeah. I I think there's this weird like you know synthesis like it's almost like if we go through a pattern of uh, thesis antithesis synthesis um it's a similar thing like kendrick's album good kid mad city is like synthesis like is like thesis like and everyone's willing to accept it and then he presents the antithesis the antithesis of it in a uh, Pimp butterfly which is basically not an album about being humble and then uh you know it's an album about anger and rage and depression uh, it's not about being saved. Uh, Good Kid, Mad City is about being saved. It ends with literally Maya Angelou like leading a bunch of hoodlums in prayer. Um, <laughs> hoodlums in prayer is <laughs> oh my god! I sound like uh, like <laughs> I, I I realize I sound like a really old person. Hoodlums in prayer, um, but uh, <laughs> gangsters in piety, um. Uh, murderers in genuflection. Uh, I'm just gonna keep trying to riff on that. Uh, but basically, yeah, this the, the hype cycle of uh, of things, and uh, and it's it's interesting. I guess that's what I I just wanted to say. I just wanted to say that, and I wanted you to know that that's how I feel. Um, but going back, like it's it's interesting. Both these artists, I really and it's funny because like I think Kendrick's really exciting to me. I think Lil Wayne's really exciting to me, and I think Jungle is really exciting to me. And why are all these things exciting to me? I think they're all exciting to me because they connect to some aspect of who I am. Uh, I, I don't really quite know how to explain, uh, but yeah, it, it, they all connect to some aspect of me. Uh, and that's why I'm so readily engaging with them. And this brings me to like a larger question about like culture that I think is really interesting uh which is that like i've started to really like learn i feel like that culture is i heard this phrase back in the day i just saw like a snippet of it but it's the idea that culture is not your friend and i've been thinking about this a lot and i've been talking about it with people like culture is i feel like i'm really starting to understand like it's weird because i moved to right la to be part of entertainment and i'm now i'm becoming very skeptical of it and not in like a like a like a cynical way, but in the sense that like as I do work on myself, as I you know this year's been a very interesting year for me. Um, you know you can ask me about it in person. <laughs> I'll just say that. And um, but like one of the things I realized, I was talking with this dude uh, who's he's he's a black dude, and I was talking about feeling outside of uh, African American black culture, and he sort of pointed out, and it's funny because he's an actor. And he pointed out to me, he's like, dude, that's you, what you're outside of is all the shit you saw on TV, all the depictions of black people. But you aren't outside of this. You are culture. You live in culture. You generate culture. And and basically, based on that advice, I stopped watching TV almost entirely in March. Uh, I got rid of my internet. Uh, I could still, I still had internet on my phone, so I could still, you know, do stuff that I needed to do. But, but basically, for the most part, I just got rid of internet, and uh, it was a really interesting experience. Um, I really do feel like culture is 
the enemy. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I really can't put it any other way. And, and hear me out. Hear me out. What, I, what I'm trying to say is that I think culture in a lot of cases, especially, I mean, I, I'll speak for myself and then I'll go to the larger point, but, um, which is a tip from this is marketing anyways. Uh, but like my experience was like, I could not measure up to a black archetype that was on TV in the media. Uh, I looked different. I acted different. I talked different. And so in some ways there was a kind of negation of myself through that experience. Similarly in my family relations, right? Like I was talking with this comic recently who is an Indian guy who, uh, ethnically Indian, but he grew up in Iowa and was born in Iowa. And I was saying like, it, I could, like, I loved watching shit like Full House growing up. And I realized like that was also a lie. Cause like I grew up watching all these sitcoms like Family Ties or I don't know, just, just all these sitcoms and realizing like that it's crazy. Um, that I held my parents to the standards or expectations of something like Full House. Like, my dad, I was sort of, like, disappointed. I thought my dad didn't like, I mean, I thought my dad didn't like me because he didn't act like Danny Tanner. Do you get what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Like, that was my expectation. That was my archetype of what a parent should be and what a parent-child relationship is like when they love each other and so i didn't see that and so i was just like oh culture like like i must be bad and what i'm realizing of course as an adult especially when i turned off the tv and really started to think about stuff and journaled and thought about family is that so much of my understanding of culture so much of my understanding of how i should relate to other people is a product of things i've seen on tv that are totally fictional and absolutely made up um and you know as i've learned from being in l.a is also devised by extremely weird people with their own kinds of issues, their own life philosophies. And so, you know, if I watch a TV show, I'm essentially absorbing someone's belief system without really realizing it. Uh, Especially as a kid, you just don't really even know better. And that's not to say that, you know, family was perfect. Um, I certainly don't think they were. Um, But at the same time, Full House probably set an unrealistic expectation an African man could not reach. Probably he's not going to be Danny Tanner. He doesn't see the world the way Danny Tanner sees the world. Um, you know, Danny Tanner is the invention of uh, a, a writer who, or a producer or a showrunner who doesn't even live up to those expectations, who probably doesn't parent that way. And so, you know, I'm absorbing all this. And I'm thinking, I'm messed up because I don't look like what's going on on TV, uh, I think my family's weird because we don't look like that. And, and so I was talking with this comic and I was just saying, like, I want to see that. I want to see a sitcom. Like, I really thought about, it, like, what would a sitcom look like if the sitcom really looked like my life growing up? You know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> right? Like, the lights would be turned really low. You couldn't even really, like, see what was going on on stage because you got to turn the lights low. You got to save money, homie. You know, everyone would be huddled in blankets. Because it's cold. Uh, it's just, you know, like, it'd just be awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's just, like, it's it's unrealistic expectations. Uh, you know, we would probably, the characters would talk a lot less. Um, they, yeah, the characters would talk a lot less to one another. They'd be very quiet. Um they 
you know, would be more concerned. I mean, you know, most of the conversation would be about bills, uh, how are the kids doing in school, um, you know, everything would be sort of very quiet and subdued. Um, not necessarily even in a bad way, just, but just, you know, a lot of silence. I think there would be a lot less, um, there would be a lot less PDA, you know, if, if there was a sitcom about my family. Uh, I think, uh, every episode, instead of featuring like an apologetic moment, um, you know, like, like some ah moment in Full House that Full House had, um, you know, uh, it would, uh, it would, it would feature like a moment where like one of the parents like was like, this is how I grew up and this is how you're growing up. And I mean, you know, I guess you can make it cheesy, you can make it heavy even, but the point is like, you know, I feel like a whole generation of people were drawn to Full House. First of all, because it just looked, it looked fun, it looked pretty, the writing was, you know, there were lots of twists and turns, but we all wanted like that sweet awe moment and like, it's culture can be good because it's aspirational, but like it can also cut against you because it makes you, it makes you deny your own reality. It actually takes up space in your life. It takes up space in how you view your life and how you view yourself. And I, I definitely can feel that. And so the question is, you know, like it's interesting. And especially in the case of like black depictions of culture, we, we, I talked about this. I've talked about this with friends extensively. Like, all the depictions of black culture are like super negative, the ones that are chosen or a lot of shows, you know, like I even went to a taping of the Carmichael show, uh, which is a show about a black family. And I was really surprised to see that, like, all the writers were white and I was just or, or Jewish. And and um, I, when I when I like looked them up on IMDb and it's just weird because it's like then I'm watching a show that's about black people and I'm a black person, but they're American black people and I am a immigrant black person. Right. And I'm also half Asian. So I'm watching that. That's already a disconnect, right? That I'm not like them. And on top of it, it's on TV. So it's idealized and everything. And the dialogue is very snappy. Right. And then on top of that, the show's actually be being written by a bunch of Jewish writers. So like, I'm all, you know, my, my point is if I get drawn into this and define myself off of it, like my, my sense of myself is all kinds of crazy because it's displaced by all these other value systems and, and points of view. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's what I feel. I mean, like, it's interesting that, yeah, I moved here three years ago and I was like, I want to move here because I want to communicate something about the culture. I want to contribute to the culture because I want people to have, you know, a, a, a common expression I've heard from people, um, you know, who want to do creative stuff uh, in, in entertainment is they're like, I want to bring my perspective to people. Uh, so someone like me who grows up doesn't have to feel uh, alone or out of place. Uh, I think that that's a common, very common thing. That's sort of said. Uh, I want to be a role. There's certain elements of role modeling, I think, that drives people into entertainment. Aside from like wanting to be famous, but but the question is, especially this coming in the last year, is is the goal to um, to put something out in the public that changes people's uh, perceptions of themselves? Does so someone who's similarly situated to me feels okay, or? Is the which is essentially contributing to the culture, or is maybe the solution for me to be okay to just simply subtract culture, mass media culture, I should say, from my life 
and just not have it, right? It, it, it I'll give you an analogy that I think is maybe a, a little clearer. Like, so women have body image issues, right? Like, and the idea is they have body image issues because of mass media. So the question is, ever a lot of people are fighting to change uh, depictions of women, right? Um, in media, in advertising, and TV. So women have better role models, right? Uh, that's one solution to the problem. The other solution to the problem is to just say, to tell those women, or, or you know, again, to tell a person like me, just subtract culture from your life. It's all a lie. Uh, mostly, you know, uh, written by someone who is not like you, who does not share your values, uh, who does not have your life experiences and does not have your life goals. And um, you should just get rid of culture. Like, actually, the solution is not to refine culture or to make it better. It's to walk away from it. Uh, and Or at least mass media culture, you know? So, in other words, like, you know, if there's body image issues or career success issues, um, you know, is the solution to have shows like The Good Wife uh, or to have Dove campaigns that uh, show more full-figured women? Or is the solution for you as an individual woman to just basically turn off the TV and turn off magazines and, you know, be much more discriminating on what kind of media you let into your life. Um, and I'm not saying that like on some like other people, I'm just using that as an analogy because that's what I feel. I'm like, you know, is the solution for me to demand better art or is the solution for me to just turn all this stuff off and get on with living, uh, and, and stop trying to compare notes to something I see on TV. In other words, do I need better TV or do I just need no TV? Um, I don't, you know, I just, I just think it's, it's like, uh, it's a very interesting, uh, tension that culture is not my friend. And not to mention the fact that like, you know, like I watch a show like Insecure. I love Insecure, right? I, I think it's a great show, but like, you know, I said to a friend of mine, I was like, I could never, well, first of all, I could never, like, it's, I'm the type of person where I, it's like, I, I say I'm the type of black person. It's like, I want to watch Insecure, but I could never see myself in an episode. Even if I was successful, like I just, I, I don't know where I'd fit in. Um, uh, but, but also like insecure, they're constantly engaging in conspicuous consumption and living a very glamorous life. Uh, and that sticks out to me because on the one hand, like in other words, in other words, what is the intention of the show? What is the intention of Issa Rae, right? Presumably, I mean, her clear intention, right, is to show the story about women, uh, you know, getting along in, in, in LA and, and struggling to figure out their relationships, their romantic relationships, their professional relationships and their identity and what, what they want to sort of be about for the long haul. Right. But it also contains a lot of imagery of, uh, you know, conspicuous consumption. And the question is, is that something Issa Rae wants to espouse or is that something that's just interesting to see on TV? It, in other words, it's a beautiful picture. It creates interesting, um, it's visually and aesthetically pleasing, right? But it has nothing to do with her intent. I mean, I don't, and, and I don't know. Like, you know, we, we also live in, a, in, in, this, in this weird, in this capitalist system. So maybe showing people fancy things is part of what you're actually trying to show them. You're not just trying to show them women trying to figure it out. Like, in fact, the the fact that they have the money to go consume these things and live this lifestyle is part of what you're trying to show to black women. You're trying to show them like, Hey, you know, like reach because then you can go to restaurants like this. 
So, but on the other hand, you know, I could also, I mean, from my perspective, and this is, this is the guy who was raised, uh, like I said, with the blanket wrapped around him because <laughs> the family was trying to save money, um, uh, at all times. Like, I look at that and go, well, like, if you watch Insecure, you also may become, you may have, like, you, you may aspire, uh, to be, you may end up being a woman who is an attorney at a law firm and you're kicking ass and you're doing great. You, you most likely will be spending a lot more money then you know your your ideas of of consumption will definitely be affected your professional goals and your aspirations i think may be affected may not but i think your consumptive patterns your your baseline expectations of how the world should cater to you um or what you know what you what what living as a civilized person looks like definitely changes um and so i don't it's messy it's like it's so it's so messy, but I would say, you know, to me, I mean, I've realized, like, as as I've gotten off of the internet, as I got off, this actually brings me back to, like, a larger point, which is that I think a lot of this cultural stuff, even, you, so in other words, I just made an argument that the culture is in service of people's career aspirations, right? And actually, if the culture shows high-end conspicuous consumption, it's in service of actually raising people's goals. However, the tricky thing about that is, is it actually, so it will, is it actually serving the viewer or is it actually just serving the whole economic system where people are, you know, I mean, you know, we're, I'm in a city where lots of people are just living off of credit cards and they're in debt and they don't really have a financial plan to figure that out. Um, and so the question is, does consumer culture actually represent that the only you know, i i read all sorts of books i read i read business books i read marketing books i read uh like philosophy books i read literature the only people who talk about frugality that i've read in the last year are businessmen you know like and i feel like that's an important value if you want to really um achieve in life you know you need to i mean you know whether you want to have a business or whether you want to have a certain kind of lifestyle family right like you have to set your up yourself up for like sort of restrictive not restrictive but more restricted consumption patterns and um you know tv is not in that regard tv is definitely not your friend uh because they have to the idea is that people it's weird because we want to see things that look like us but we also don't want to see things that look like us right we want to see new things uh, but we also want to see people who do look like us. And the question is, like, that gets really confusing, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And you don't see a lot of role modeling uh, for the way people actually live or ways to live effectively. And so it's this weird argument of saying, you know, everyone's rushing here because they want to put themselves and their stories on television. But what we see aren't their stories. What we see is actually something else entirely. Um, and yeah, I just, I have this weird tension with it. Um, especially with like movies and television. I think that's one of the reasons I do like stand up because there, there really, there is no space to make those kinds of compromises. Um, like we all understand that Eddie Murphy is just wearing a ridiculous leather outfit that no one would wear that. We get that. Like, like literally stand up is like, this is spectacle. I'm saying stuff to get a rise out of you. I'm trying to challenge your beliefs, but it's not, and I'm trying to challenge your beliefs so you figure it out. You figure out your life, right? But like, I'm not, sh I'm not showing you how to be, right? There's no sense in stand up that like I'm role modeling. 
<laughs> for you. Um, except for all the crazy people who end up going and doing stand-up, uh, of course, uh, including yours truly. But, but there, you know, it's like music. I mean, music has so many crazy stories in it. You know, it's like it, like. I have oftentimes thought, like, I really love love songs. I am a real sucker for the, I'm a real romantic. And there's a question of, like, you know, look, if Ariana Grande has so many problems with, with like, men, like, like why am I listening to her? Like, is she going to give me good advice on actually how to have a relationship? Or is, or is this just really entertaining? Like, the videos and the production and everything is really silky. It, it's almost like I would analogize, like, Ariana Grande to Insecure. Right. Or or even, I don't know, Lil Wayne. Like, I think Lil Wayne's album, like, what I love about it is his introspection and his vulnerability, um, you know, to uh, to steal from Bernay. <laughs> I've got to check, send a check over to Bernay Brown. Um, but what I find, you know, but then there's all this, obviously this him being a gangster and a tough guy. And I get that that's also part of his experience. But the thing is, it's interesting to me to appreciate him as a as a person or as an artist, but there's no sense that I want to emulate that. Uh, so it's weird. It's like, it's like art. It'd be cool if art was a person, but I feel like it's so many things that uh, I. It has so much else in it other than. Maybe the intended message, and maybe that's part of the point. You know, I mean, you know, you talk with the hermeneutics, the her, the hermeneutics, in uh, in literary theory, and they would say that actually that's the point. The thing is, that you're communicating all these things that you're not even intending to, and actually that might be even more important than what you intend to communicate uh, to people. Uh, but it also seems, you know, tricky, and you know, I, I want to use the word problematic. I'll I'll fucking use the word problematic, even though I hate it. Uh, I've hated it since uh, two thousand three, since one of my best friends uh, used it in a in a seminar. I'm like, oh, this word is such a weasel word. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I'm like, I'm just trying to say, like, I don't, I don't know, right? Like, I, I will say, at least speaking for myself, like. As I've gotten more and more out of cult, you know what it's like. Uh, to me, culture is like it's like a um, it's like gambling. You know, uh, you you watched it; it made you feel. It's like gambling or marketing, even right? Like it 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 shows you something that makes you feel inadequate. And so instead of walking away from, you know, you just lost 10 bucks. So now you put down another 20. That's what it feels like. Culture feels like gambling. <laughs> like, I feel, I watch this and, um, you know, this person is, Tay Diggs is really muscular. Um, but instead of like validating my own existence, I'm like, well, Tadix is muscular, so I really need to get like, I need to get this creatine powder, right? Like, in other words, the solution to the problems of culture are more culture. I guess that's sort of the argument with people make about speech that that you know, and this is a common con. Actually, now that I think about it, that's like a common idea, right? Like the idea is that the solution to more speech. Is speech, and I totally understand that on the level of public discourse. And I understand that in the context of the First Amendment. But I would say sometimes in my life, <laughs> the solution to bad speech is silence. It's not always more speech, um, you know, because someone's collecting a vig the entire time, 
<laughs> and that person is NBC. Uh, and that person is Les Moonves. And, uh, and yeah, they're just they're just taking a cut, and they're putting things that we don't need uh, into our lives. Uh, and sometimes that can be really good. I guess I, you know it can be very aspirational and positive. But it seems to me like, uh, and I've talked about this with a friend. I feel like when I talk with friends, I'm once I stopped watching as much. Once I got rid of my internet and I stopped watching really TV. I still watch a few shows. I watch Insecure. I watch Atlanta. I watch Game of Thrones. And I do watch uh, what's it called Counterpart. Uh, I think those are all. I don't know. They just be. They, I enjoy them. Um, but, but at the same time, like they're also shows that aren't 20 episodes, so I can't just get sucked in to it. I can't get sucked into the repetition. Uh, I think they have qualities that I really enjoy. Um, but that's even a thing on like TV, right? Like TV constantly makes us feel excited. Part of the reason, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that Seth Godin talks about, and this is marketing is the idea that you have to bring, if you're marketing something, you have to bring it to your consumers, um, uh, sort of appeal, speak to what their needs and their interests are, their desires for status or power or, uh, like, you know, yeah, basically status, <laughs> status and power, uh, is how you sell things to people and, and create, uh, generate and release tension all along the way, which is a perfect description of stand up. But the thing is, like, when we, when I see so much tension, re- like, you know, generation of tension and release attention on TV, um, I feel like I expect that in my own life. You know, I, I was doing some work yesterday, uh, some some like professional work, and then I was doing some personal work and journaling. I was answering those answering questions in this workbook, and I realized that one of the things that makes it hard for me sometimes to keep maintain focus is I have a baseline expectation of so much stimulus, so much activity happening that will keep me sort of jazzed up. It's like I want. I want reality to be my coffee. I want it to be the stimulant that like makes me do all these things. And then I'm motivated. And that's an unrealistic expectation or demand of life that it's always going to be exciting. But, it, but the problem is like I watched tons of TV as a kid and not, not problem. I'm not going to blame, blame it on TV. It's inside of me. But like, but I've, you know, that demand for excitement actually can be very counterproductive. You know, I think it, it, that, that's a great example. It's like that demand for excitement can either push us to seek things in life that are exciting and interesting and pursue these interesting careers and be eccentric, but they also can like really deflate us. And, and, and then we just seek for things that are exciting, whether they be social situations, professional situations, relationships, and that shit ends bad in a lot of ways, right? So we're all hooked on excitement uh, and novelty. Uh, whereas maybe that's not always the foundation of life. Uh, it's a, ugh. I, I don't, I haven't made, I, I hope I haven't wasted your time, but I think that this is really like an interesting thing for me. Like I noticed that when I did get off the internet and TV, I, I was more comfortable with my life being just boring and even, you know, I was more comfortable with the idea of that. I don't have to be doing something all the time. Right. What about if you turned into like tuned into like an episode of, you know, this is us. And they just laid around the house. It was just an episode where <laughs> they don't leave. You know, it stays all in the past with the, with the family. And, uh, and they're just, they're just like with the kids and they're just in the house. And they're not even like hanging out being a family, like trying to elicit tears from you. They're just literally all hanging out. Like one of them is drawing. Another one is doing math homework. 
um, you know, a mom is um, sitting on the couch, dad's sitting on the couch, um, they're just holding each other. And, uh, and like, that's the, that's the, that's, that's the 45 minute episode. That's the whole shebang. Um, maybe we would be more comfortable with just a life not full of incessant activity. Uh, and so I don't know, you know, that things always have to move forward. Uh, I think it would, it would help. It's certainly in the last year, it's helped me process like life more like, oh, Right or or I'm just like instead of being so concerned about the next stimulus or the next NPR story, uh, or the next crazy thing Trump has done or the next thing the you know like next critique of liberals like it, I I'm actually much more concerned just about my I don't know like I'm like well I have this business and I should grow it or sometimes I'm just like well how do I feel when nothing's going on how do I just like feel period. How do I feel about myself? Um, you know, questions like that are, are things that culture can't answer. And I, I am starting to realize, sort of going back to what my friend who's an actor said, um, so many of the things that I used to think I thought about myself are actually me comparing myself to something I've seen. That, but what I do want to compare myself to is like maybe my ideal or highest self. And there's a real, you know, and there's a question of, and so I actually wrote that out. I wrote out what my, I guess, ideal self would be. Uh, and it had these qualities. And I realized that, you know, I've watched a ton of TV. I've even read like a ton of books, you know, like, and, and the thing is, um, how many of those have been mem- memorable? You know, um, I've watched so much Frasier. I love Frasier. I love Frasier. It's a great show. But I have to ask myself, like, did it did it make me better? Did it improve me? Did it even really, like, ease what was going on in my life at the time? Did it provide any kind of solution or even really real, genuine respite? Um, and I have to say that I don't, I don't think it did. And I, how many NP, how many, how many news articles have I read that, you know, two years later, they don't matter. Even news, I'm not even talking about like, you know, TV, where it's all this consumer stuff, just like, just consuming anything, which, so culture doesn't just include, you know, TV, right, or things trying to sell you stuff. I mean, like, when I listen to NP, like, how many, how many other things have been memorable, you know? And not just memorable, like instructive. Uh, so yeah, I just think, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, that's yeah, that's, that's pretty much, um, yeah. Uh, that's that's what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, I'm just not sure. That culture is uh, is. Is my friend. And I think it would be, it's just interesting to, not to say that culture can't be a friend, but to investigate the nature of that relationship. Um, is interesting. But obviously, I love art. 
<laughs> I love Wheezy. Wheezy F. Baby. Um, that's another name for Little Wayne. And culture is important. Uh, I, the resolution uh, from a friend of mine uh, who is actually about to have a Wheezy F. Baby, uh, we were talking about it, and it was just like culture – Maybe the idea is, like, you know, she's about to have a kid, right? So we talked about even the context of her child and this question of, like, maybe I don't want my kid. I want culture that that, that exalts and, and encourages her. Uh, but ideally, maybe she, would, she wouldn't, you know, I, I would be able to minimize how much mass media I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to give her. But in the end, mass media is inevitable um, because, you know, who listens to their parents? <laughs> uh, anyways, um, this has been another episode, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye.